The KXAN News Podcast is sponsored by Shelf Genie. Protesters clash with DPS at the state capitol. It's due to different views on bills that aim to keep people from dying from fentanyl overdoses. You're letting people across our state die without the tools that we know work. Why there's conflict at the Capitol over ways to save lives. Progress in the push to change how the state enforces marijuana laws. The latest on legislation to reduce the penalty for possession. Medical debt in Texas. Senate legislation would require doctors to give patients itemized invoices to ensure billing transparency. What lawmakers are hearing from patients and a showdown over property tax relief. A dispute between the speaker and the lieutenant governor heats up on Twitter. Why the outcome could determine whether we see a special session. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Protesters clashed with staffers and DPS at the state capitol Thursday at issue legislation that aims to save lives by preventing fentanyl overdoses. The protests highlight differences over how to reduce fentanyl deaths, pitting advocates for harm reduction against those calling for tougher penalties. Monica Madden looks at how the fight is playing out at the capitol. A capital clash Thursday morning over a stalled bill in the Senate to legalize fentanyl testing strips. It's a tool currently classified as drug paraphernalia in Texas, but it's used to detect if other drugs are laced with fentanyl, a synthetic opioid that can be deadly. The group cramming into Senator Joan Huffman's office, who's a member of the Criminal Justice Committee where the bill is stalled. She has to pass this bill. This is serious. Carolyn Williams lost her son to fentanyl just two months ago. It's, it's heartbreaking. If it happened to me, it could happen to anyone. While the House overwhelmingly approved decriminalizing fentanyl strips earlier this month, the group stormed the House gallery for a different demand. No more drug war! They're opposed to a bill the House gave initial approval to. It increases penalties for distributing fentanyl, including possible murder charges if someone overdoses. Opponents say that's not the right way to solve the problem. So you cannot bust all of the dealers and then find a way to treat all the people who use drugs. People who use drugs might also sell them. But on the floor, lawmakers backed the idea that tougher penalties will save lives. Members, on behalf of all of our family members who have died innocently by taking medication laced with fentanyl, on behalf of all of our friends, we're here today to tell the people who deal that drug, we're going to pass a piece of legislation, we're coming after you. Monica joins us now. We heard from the harm reduction advocate in your story, but take us a little deeper into their argument. Why are they against tougher penalties for this deadly drug? Well, Josh, the group says that this doesn't really address the core reasons for why people use drugs and turn to drugs in the first place. You know, talking about the variety of different factors, whether it be family, housing crises that lead to homelessness, just a lot of different reasons that go into that. And then also the group points to, historically speaking, how the war on drugs affected the incarceration rates in the United States. And they think by criminalizing the people who are most likely selling these drugs, as you heard that man say, they're probably 
probably using them. It's just going to lead to more people in prison without addressing some of the root causes of why people are turning to drugs in the first place. Now, Governor Greg Abbott made fighting fentanyl deaths one of his emergency priorities for the legislative session. Where does he fit into this dispute? Well, it's really interesting, Josh, because specifically on the point of fentanyl testing strips, the governor previously was opposed to that last legislative session and even before he launched his reelection campaign for uh, governor this term. But he has had a shift in his mindset. I'm not exactly sure why the reasons are. So, Governor, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on and explain why. But, you know, he is now open to the fentanyl testing strips and legalizing that and talked about that during when he outlined his emergency priority items this session. He thinks that will be a tool that will help as this crisis continues to plague Texas and communities across the nation. And at the same time, though, he also is for in increasing those penalties, those criminal penalties for those who sell fentanyl and distribute fentanyl. So um, he's backing both of these efforts, and it'll be interesting to see where the legislature ends up on these issues, Josh. Of course, we saw the protesters who were in Senator Huffman's office. What did she have to say in her response? Well, Senator Huffman was not physically present in her office when the protesters came. She was doing other work at the time, which is pretty common in the legislature. You won't often find the lawmakers in their office. But um, her, her staffers were there and they said that they wouldn't comment on her particular position on this issue. I did ask her staffers for a comment from the senator on where she stands on this and we did not hear back in time, Josh. All right, Monica, thank you very much. Thank you. Going in depth, the University of Texas project is sparking change in the way we report overdoses. Texcope is a digital platform designed to improve overdose data in Texas and to help drive response. They combine EMS data with reports from the community and outreach workers. Dr. Casey Claiborne, a research scientist at UT Austin, tells us they are working toward partnering with Travis, Williamson and Hayes counties so they can eventually expand across the state. It's truly the community coming together to track overdoses, um, but more so to give the community a voice um, so that we know how to better target our resources um, for naloxone, for example, for um, all of our outreach efforts. We, we can have a more equitable distribution of our resources. Texcope also offers mental health services, information on how to respond to overdose and substance abuse treatment and prevention efforts. House members also passed a bill to change how the state enforces laws for possession of cannabis. House Bill 218 makes it so anyone caught with up to an ounce of marijuana would face a Class C misdemeanor charge. That would mean no jail time and a fine only. Class B misdemeanor would be between one and two ounces. Class A misdemeanor for anything between two and four ounces. Anything over four would start getting into different felony levels. Similar legislation passed the House in 2019 and again in 2021. Both times those bills failed to clear the Senate. To give you an idea of what Texans think, this is what a poll out of the University of Houston discovered at the start of the year. More than 80% said possession of small amounts of marijuana should be punishable only by citation and a fine. Two-thirds of those surveyed approved legalizing marijuana for those 21 and up. Lawmakers move closer to an unprecedented investment into school safety. The state of Texas must make fundamental changes the way we protect our school communities. Why some people worry about the potential risk of part of the plan to protect children. A 
dispute between two top state leaders evolves into name-calling and shirtless photos on social media? Sounds silly, but there's actually a lot at stake. How the debate over property tax relief is heating up as time runs down on the session. The Texas House passed an unprecedented investment into school safety. House Bill 3 puts more than a billion dollars toward improving security. The bill gives districts $15,000 per campus and $100 per student to improve school safety. Lubbock Republican Dustin Burroughs is the lead author of the bill. He served on the special house committee investigating the Uvalde shooting. His bill includes a requirement to have at least one armed security officer on every campus. I can tell you talking to parents, grandparents, uh, educators, even classroom teachers uh, from Uvalde, having somebody there as a security guard is a sense of safety. But that requirement drew concern from some Democratic members who worry about the risk of guns on campus and that teachers and staff could be pressured to serve as armed security. We don't want those guns in our classrooms. Teachers themselves do not want to be armed. We know that. In fact, an AFT poll said 77% of union members are against being armed and confronting a shooter. Despite those concerns, the bill passed with wide bipartisan support. The legislation also requires regular safety inspections of school buildings. State senators heard testimony on a bill that would replace Texas paper license plates with metal ones. The bill, similar to the one introduced in the House, aims to crack down on widespread fraud and criminal activity tied to paper tags. It's a problem we've investigated for years. Among those testifying, a Dallas area police chief whose officer was killed last November while pursuing a suspect with a bogus paper tag. Fraudulent paper tags are the criminal instrument of choice for drug traffickers, human smugglers, auto theft rings, street gangs, street takeover groups, and yes, cop killers. Opponents raised questions about what happens to license plate inventory when a dealer goes out of business. How will this impact short-term commercial trucking permits? And what car dealers can do if they don't have a metal plate in stock at the time of a sale? Critics pointed out metal tags are also being counterfeited, but law enforcement says that's more difficult and nowhere near the level of paper tag fraud. The Senate bill was left pending in committee. You can catch up on our coverage on this issue in our special Risky Rides section. Just look for the link in this story in the Texas Politics section of our website. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dade Phelan have different ideas about how to deliver property tax relief. Now, their dispute is getting personal with high stakes over the outcome. Medical debt in Texas. Senate legislation would require doctors to give patients itemized invoices to ensure billing transparency. What lawmakers are hearing from patients. This KXAN News Podcast is brought to you by Shelf Genie. I'm Rosie Newberry from KXAN Studio 512. Considering replacing your kitchen cabinets? Struggling to find or reach things? Go to ShelfGenie.com slash Austin. Shelf Genie designs custom pull-out shelves for your existing cabinets, adding convenience and value to the most used room in your home. Shelf Genie custom pull-out shelves, everything in reach.
Property tax relief is a key priority at the Capitol this session, but when it comes to how to provide relief, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dade Phelan have different ideas, and that divide is getting personal. We've told you about the different tax relief plans approved in the House and the Senate. The Lieutenant Governor wants to cut property taxes by raising the homestead exemption. That's the amount of a home's value that's exempt from property taxes. Right now, the exemption is $40,000. The Senate plan would raise it to $70,000, but House lawmakers are aiming for a different approach. Their plan tightens the cap on home appraisals. Right now, the state puts a 10% limit on how much a home's taxable value can rise each year. The House plan aims to control tax bills by cutting that cap to 5%. Now it's up to the Budget Conference Committee to work out the differences that usually plays out behind the scenes at the Capitol, but the Lieutenant Governor is putting a spotlight on his differences with the Speaker. He turned to name-calling in TV interviews, calling Speaker Phelan California Dade, and that's a reference to problems in California after that state approved appraisal caps. Patrick also threatened to force the governor to call a special session by not moving key legislation that needs to pass. Phelan responded on Twitter with a bit of humor. He posted shirtless pictures of himself standing between two surfboards, making fun of the California Dade reference. The message said, quote, he's stoked for some tasty waves on the Texas coast this summer and after the end of the regular session. Patrick responded with his own Twitter post, editing his face onto a picture of a surfer. He wrote, the Senate's homestead exemptions are the better wave to ride. It seems silly, but there is actually a lot at stake here. We want to dig a little deeper, and for insight, we're bringing in two reporters from the Capitol Press Corps. James Berrigan is from the Texas Tribune, and Nikki Griswold with the Austin American Statesman. Welcome. Thanks for having Good me. Good to be here. Sure, you've both been following this. There is wide support for property tax relief. How did this agreement on how to provide relief turn so divisive? Well, I think it's been divisive since the beginning. Uh, everybody wants to provide some type of property tax relief for uh, Texas taxpayers. But the difference is how to do that. The Senate wants to increase the homestead exemption. The House wants to cap appraisals. And so there's been this like just head bumping throughout the entire session that's really come to a head over the last week with now personal laws being thrown um, across the chamber. Um, and I don't expect that to let up. I think that fighting is going to continue over the next couple of weeks as we head into the end of the session and it might just come down to the wire. Yeah, I mean this really like you said started even before like the conference committee was was named or yep. it seems like it's been brewing for a while. For sure. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dade Phelan really don't hide their uh, dislike of each other. It's very clear that they do not get along. Um, and that was evident this week with Dan Patrick um, over the last couple of weeks really going on a media blitz about the uh, Senate's property tax sure. proposal sure. and this week really those personal tax like California Dave for a, for a Beaumont, Texas native, uh, that's that's really strong. And Nikki, you have also been covering another conflict between the House and Senate over using public money to pay for private schools. What is the divide there? Well, I think the divide comes where um, in support, we saw the Senate advance pretty quickly, Senate Bill 8, which would create education savings accounts for students to use towards private school tuition, um, homeschooling, tutoring. Um, 
out of public funds, and that hasn't made much headway in the House. We saw um, the House equivalent of that bill uh, get a hearing a few weeks ago, and there hasn't been much movement since then. We could still see it advance out of that committee and onto the floor, and that's where another really spirited debate would happen. But I think we just see a lot more hesitation when it comes from um, you know rural Republicans who are worried about their the you know health of their public schools. You've both spent a lot of time at the Capitol. Obviously, does the tension between Phelan and Patrick extend to the members that you've seen at all? I, that's a great question. Um, I do sense a little bit of frustration, perhaps, from members in both chambers um, who have priority bills that are, you know, perhaps not making as much headway in um, the opposite chamber. But I think the members keep it pretty civil um, and leave it up to their leaders to do um, more of the the battling on that front. Exactly. I don't know if James agrees with me. I think it's uh, your regular interchamber feuding. I don't think that there's particular um, dislike between uh, the senators and the state representatives, but it is the regular, um, uh, if you don't respect us, expect us kind of deal that they're always throwing around. Everyone's talking about the possibility of a special session. Do you really think that that's likely to happen? I think if enough of either the governor's or the lieutenant governor's priorities don't make it across the finish line, I think it's a good possibility. Um, neither of them have been very shy about hinting that that might happen and, and you know the lieutenant governor while he doesn't have the ability to call a special session he can certainly do his best to force one um, and so we might see some of those moves being pulled out in the final weeks we have ahead. Good possibility. You think the same? I think that's certainly the dark cloud hanging over the Capitol right now. What do we need to be watching for in the coming weeks as we kind of round out the last part of the session? I think um, some of these hot button issues, whether they, you know, make it across the finish line is something I, I'm keeping an eye on. Um, you know, the Senate has been um, pretty swift in moving a lot of their priorities and somewhat controversial legislation off to the lower chamber. And, you know, what happens to those bills there, um, especially as we have the clock ticking down, is something I'm keeping my eye on, certainly. I think it's property taxes, uh, the school choice uh, education bill, um, that's going to be a big fight. And the bills targeting trans uh, kids and people, as well as the higher ed uh, the bills with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and trying to end tenure. Those are really big issues for social conservatives that they want to see moved, as expressed by the lieutenant governor. And if they don't move, I think that uh, the, the probability of a special session becomes larger. Exciting. <laughs> for us, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, James, Nikki, thank you so much for being with us. Thank, thank you. When a Texas hospital sued hundreds of patients for medical debt, some turned to our investigative team for help. How they're now getting results from lawmakers at the Capitol. Our investigators continue hearing from patients who say they received vague bills from a Central Texas hospital, but never an itemized invoice to understand what they owed. When they didn't pay, they got sued for medical debt. We told you how the House bill is moving through the Texas legislature this session to address this transparency issue. Now investigator Arzo Dost shows us a Senate companion also pushing forward, and its author is hearing from patients too. I have this um, appeal notification. Michelle Ledesma sorts through a stack of documents. The lawsuit. It's everything she's collected over five years after being sued by a Williamson County hospital for not paying her medical bill. It's just so, I mean, so 
so vague. Ledesma says she had to be hospitalized for a severe bacterial infection in 2018. She had insurance but says she was billed more than $2,000 out of pocket. She says she asked the hospital for an itemized invoice but never got it. I'm willing to pay but you need to be upfront as to what I'm being charged for. In 2020 and two years after her treatment, she was served with a lawsuit. Initially, Ledesma's case resulted in a judgment in her favor. It had few details, but did say the hospital should take nothing by its suit. But now records show lawyers representing the hospital are appealing. You thought it was over? They filed an appeal for something I have not, I have no idea what for and I don't know what to expect. Stories like Ledesma's have grabbed the attention of lawmakers and they're filing legislation pushing for more transparent medical billing. Chair lays out Senate Bill 490. Republican Senator Brian Hughes recently laid out Senate Bill 490 to members of the Health and Human Services Committee. It's the second session he's filed legislation to require a medical provider send an itemized bill to a patient in terms they can understand before trying to collect any money. The legislation says a provider may not pursue debt collection against a patient unless the provider has complied. Medical bills are confusing enough, and uh, rather than getting a bill that just says balance due, this bill says you get an itemized bill. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, uh, not a radical concept. Last session, the bill passed the Senate, but didn't advance to become law. How could a bill like this help you? It will make a difference because it'll be more transparent. Ledesma says she's now retired and worries about having to dip into her savings as the case continues to play out in court. She says she's reached out to lawmakers, hoping her story can help prevent this problem for other patients in the future. To have this hanging over me has created so much stress. Arzo Dost for State of Texas. The legislation passed the state Senate unanimously on Thursday. It requires hospitals to send patients an itemized invoice before payment to better understand what they owe. Plus, a companion bill in the House also just cleared its committee and is soon moving to the full House for consideration. See why that bill faced some pushback over possible hospital costs and workload and how its author addressed concerns in this story in the Texas politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.